You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Chris Johnson, partner and VA-accredited attorney at Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we are talking about suicide in older adults. Joining us for the conversation is Misty Leitch, the executive director of Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network. Misty, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's always a tough topic to talk about. It's one that uh, not everyone feels comfortable talking about. But if we don't get the word out there and let people know about these resources and the warning signs, um, we can we can have a bad result. And so I think we should get started out. If you could just kind of give us some statistics regarding the suicide rate for older adults in Tennessee, I, I think it'll be eye opening for a lot of our listeners. Sure, absolutely. So if we look at the statistics from 2019, what I would immediately point out is that when we look at the age group of 55 to 64-year-olds collectively, so that's both males and females, in 2019, we know that suicide was the eighth leading cause of death for that age group. And that is quite disheartening when we think about the top 10 leading causes of death and knowing that suicide is the most preventable way of dying. I'm not saying that it's 100% preventable 100% of the time, but out of the top 10 leading causes of death, it absolutely is the most preventable. And when we look at the age group of 65 years and and up and older, we see that while suicide is not part of the top 10 in 2019, we do see that unintentional injury is number seven. And when we think about what would qualify as an unintentional injury, essentially that just means someone was involved in some type of incident where the outcome was an unintentional death. So they were, it was un. These deaths were found to be unintentional. However, the individuals that make that determination sometimes are not looking for suicide to be the the cause of death. Or sometimes individuals who um, die by suicide, their families request and beg the medical examiner to not label it as a suicide death. And so sometimes we do find that... um, deaths are miscategorized as unintentional injury um, instead of using suicides, especially nowadays with overdoses. And thinking of overdoses, it is extremely difficult to differentiate between an unintentional and an intentional. And I bring up overdoses in particular because we know that for older adults in particular, there there have been some cases where um, 
their death was labeled an unintentional injury, but when the toxicology reports come back, we see that there was an overabundance of a certain medication in their system. And, and that's a prime example of, was this an unintentional injury or was this indeed a suicide? That's right. When, when we look at the data for 2020 that we have, we have to understand that, you know, that's when we see COVID come into the picture. And, you know, the, the I don't even know a good word for it, but just this alarming number of, of people we lost in 2020 to COVID. And so because of that, it, it kind of skewed our data quite a bit um, and had knocked down a couple of the other top 10 leading causes of death. So in 2020, what we see is that for the 55 to 64-year-olds, unintentional injury becomes the fourth leading cause of death, and suicide drops down to the 10th leading cause of death for that age group. And when we look at 65 years old and and older, we see the unintentional injury kind of hanging out there at still at the 8th leading cause of death. And so definitely something we still want to keep an eye on. We know that individuals 65 and older and and primarily 85 and older actually have a higher rate of suicide than our young people. And I think that's a little surprising for some people because... It's it's very surprising. You associate suicide with younger people. You feel like as people get older and they get more stable and they get more secure and I think just comfortable in with themselves, uh, I, it's it's almost shocking to me that it that it would be higher than younger people. Absolutely, and I think one of the reasons people are shocked by that is when we lose a young person to suicide. Uh, it's any death to suicide is tragic. Let me just say that uh, you know it is absolutely a tragic loss. When we lose a young person to suicide the amount of years of life that are lost is much greater and more impactful than, um, this sounds not the greatest, and forgive me, I don't have a better way of saying it, but the, the, the years of life lost for young people is much more than the years of life lost for an older adult. And so I think that's what motivates our society to really focus in on our young people because they have so much untapped potential. They have so much years of life left. So, yeah, but you could turn that around too. And for older people that the connections they have and the the people that the relationships is they've obviously just had a a greater time to build those connections there. You know, the older you are, typically the larger your family is, your friend networks bigger, you have friends from, from different phases of your life and and the connections that are lost because of suicide. uh, It it just, I would think with an older person, it impacts a, a vaster amount of people because you had, that opportunity to have more friends and, and have more connections. And uh, I'll bet you that the, the impact is, is just as devastating. It's just in a different way. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better, Chris. And yeah. you touched on a really key word just now, and that word was loss. And so just as you mentioned, older adults have spent their 
their entire life building these connections and networks and relationships. And as people age, oftentimes they lose people they care about, whether it's a spouse or a friend or an army buddy or a Navy, you know, military buddy. And so just so you know, and everyone listening, every suicide case I have ever worked, we have been able to identify a sense of loss. And that is the most common theme among suicides. And we have to understand that suicide, um, that, excuse me, that loss is about pain and it's about how we um, react to that pain. And so when we think about suicide, someone experiencing a loss is at risk of thinking about suicide. Um, And there's no doubt about it. If we could protect people from losing things that are important to them, that have meaning to them, we could probably prevent a lot of suicides. And the loss could be any variety of things. It could be a loss of a relationship. It could be a loss of prominence in the community. For example, you know, a loss of reputation. It could be a financial loss. It could be any type of loss, but it's really centered on how that individual perceives that loss and, and how impactful that loss was to that individual. And that's why suicides are so individualized. Yeah. Well, so what, so when you're, when you're trying to prevent this, what are the risk factors out there? How do, how do people identify this? How do they know if a loved one is is having, having these thoughts? Uh, What are they looking for? Absolutely. That's a really great question. So some of the risk factors and warning signs, particularly evident in our older adult population, is a loss of self-esteem. So if you notice your loved one or your friend, a major change in their behavior, that is a key indicator. Um, Depression, we know, is a major factor in late life suicides. And it's more than just, you know, someone is sad, but it is consistent. It is um, not getting better after a couple days or even a couple weeks. We know that chronic illness can affect some older adults, you know, who maybe have serious or painful or um, life ending diagnoses and they want to take control. And we also know that isolation plays a big factor, which goes back to the relationships and the loss of those relationships. We know that uh, older adults who live in more rural communities where there is maybe just a lower population in the community um, and maybe the older adult isn't able to get out very often, um, those can all be risk factors for someone, and if they don't have protective factors to kind of counteract or counterbalance those risk factors, then um, they they could eventually think about suicide as an option. And it's really important to understand that individuals who have thoughts of suicide do not want to die. What they want is is this lethal amount of emotional pain they are in to stop. And they have thought of everything, they have tried everything that they can think of to to stop hurting and to end that pain. And if we can first acknowledge 
that it's about pain and recognize that and help that individual recognize the exact same thing, then we have a stronger likelihood of persuading them to stay alive and get help for that pain. Well, and I think you hit it with COVID and the isolation. Uh, COVID wasn't just a physical health issue. It was a mental health issue. It's been a mental health pandemic. Uh, It made it so hard. I know from our perspective, uh, families coming and telling us they couldn't see their loved ones in the assisted living facility or the skilled nursing facility. And mm-hmm. you see that tension because those facilities, they badly want to keep the residents safe. And it's certainly in the early parts of it, they don't know. You know, People didn't know what exactly, what was the right thing to do. And I think they erred, what some would argue is erred on the side of caution. And, uh, and that further isolated people who might have already been feeling isolated. And it's, it's kind of been really difficult to reset back to a new normal, hasn't it? Absolutely. I don't think we'll, we'll ever reset. I think we just have to learn how to live in the new typical is, is kind of what we're saying. And, you know, with that, we are extremely aware of some of the additional risk factors, particularly in our older adults, um, you know, things like not taking their medications as prescribed or seeking unnecessary additional medications with adverse effects, Um, participating in what we would classify as risky behaviors. Are those things that like, should those be signals to family and and friends, kind of the loved ones uh, that, Hey, this person's at risk. Are, Are these those signs that you're like, Hey, Maybe we need to step up and do something. Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, risky behaviors could be something as simple as um, getting up on a ladder by themselves, right? Or um, not taking the path that they typically walk through in their home with the less obstacles in the way. So maybe they're taking a riskier walking path, not going to schedule doctor's appointments. Um, yeah. You know, and so those are the types of behaviors we would absolutely want to keep an eye on, um, even a change in their sleeping pattern. And so, you know, even small things like that. And the the biggest advice I can give, if I may, I know it's yes. unsolicited. No, but, please do. <laughs> but, you know, trust, trust your gut. For anyone that is listening to this, listen to your gut. And so if you are concerned about, an older adult or anyone for that matter, ask them the question. You know, some people are afraid to ask them, ask individuals, hey, are you thinking about ending your life? Are you thinking about suicide? And they're afraid for a multitude of reasons. One, maybe they've never asked someone that question or, you know, they they don't know what to do if they ask that question and the individual says yes, right? And so yeah. it, it, it can be a very scary moment. But do know that there are resources in the community, in our state, and in our nation that stand ready to help you ask that question and to help you figure out what is the best course of action if this person does say yes. We are very, very fortunate in our state that we have um, the statewide crisis hotline number. We have the national suicide prevention lifeline number, which, as you may know, is now transitioned to the three-digit 988. 
Um, I've heard of that. Yeah, that that's a new thing, isn't it? Can it you is. talk a little bit about the 980? I don't think many people are familiar with that. Absolutely. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number has been around for a number of years, and that's the number 1-800-273-TALK, 8255. And there was a bunch of research conducted, and we found that in a moment of crisis, especially a mental health crisis, it can be very difficult to remember such a long number. And so it was decided it should be modeled after the 911 emergency phone number. And so tons of research was done to figure out the appropriate number that we should use, um, hence 988. And so this will be a suicide and mental health crisis quick three-digit number that people will hopefully remember and utilize in place of 911. So essentially, if you have a mental health crisis, no matter if it's suicide or any other number of mental health crises that may happen, now we have a three-digit number to remember. Rather that, than that's the- amazing. I mean, that's just the fact that you, you people don't understand, I think, sometimes that the hours, I mean, just that went in to researching for that, lobbying for that, getting people to make that stuff happen. That stuff doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen easily to get that hotline out there. And so you taking the time to share with our audience to make sure people know that resource is not only available, but it's, it's easily available. That's the goal is to make it as easily available as possible. Stuff like that saves lives. Absolutely. It is free. It is confidential. So you don't have to give real names and it is available 24 seven. So hopefully in, in making it set up this way, we are trying to reduce as many barriers as possible to individuals seeking care for their mental health. Got it. Well, so I think I want to kind of summarize everything we've talked about kind of in the second half, when you suspect someone might be contemplating it, is it, is it fair to say that you want them to engage? Is that a good summary? You know, engage in the resources, engage with the person specifically, because it's the lack of engagement that you're, you're kind of letting things just play out. Chris, that's a beautiful way to summarize it. If, if I could encourage everyone to to do just that, to reach out, you know, and, and there's even, if you will, a formula for how you can ask the question. Let the individual know what you have noticed. What is your gut telling you? So, for example, Chris, if I may use you as an example. Yeah, please do. Great. So, Chris, let's say we've known each other a couple months and I've gotten to know you pretty well. And then all of a sudden, um, you you're not sleeping as much and you're not, you look disheveled. So I may approach you and say, Hey, Chris, I've kind of noticed that, um, you know, you're not sleeping as much and you're not looking the same way you have in the past. And I'm just wondering, you know, sometimes when people have a major change in appearance and behavior like this, something might be going on and they might be thinking about suicide. And I'm just wondering if maybe you are too. And that's it. And so if you can ask an individual, if you can give the individual the reasons why you're asking and let them know that they are not alone, they are not the only ones to go through this, to have these thoughts. Um, and that there are resources available, 
more than likely, you're going to be the person that helps to save a life. Because individuals with thoughts of suicide feel very alone, feel very invisible. And just simply acknowledging their existence and seeing the changes in behaviors or appearance, et cetera, and letting them know that, that they're not alone can be can give that individual a sense of relief, which can then lead to a conversation. And if you can keep that person talking, guess what? They're alive. They're not yeah. attempting. That's and right. More, more often than not, people really just need somebody to listen to them. They've got all this stuff built up inside of them. And when you can ask them, honestly, are you having these thoughts, right? Because if you are, it's okay. I know where we can go and get help. We can text the crisis text line. We can we can call 988. We can call our statewide crisis hotline. There are people standing ready to help provide resources and help save lives. Well, I think that is absolutely perfect, Misty. And we're I'm looking at the clock and we're running out of time here. It's such an important topic. You don't want to rush it. I appreciate so much. We appreciate here at Tegas McGinnis, Misty, you sharing your time. Uh, again, Misty is the Executive Director of the Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network. Misty, thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing your knowledge with our audience. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Tagus McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.